Looking to Jared Stearns, who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Vaughn Anderson! As advertised, touchdown, Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. Welcome, welcome everyone to a special edition of Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. I am, as always, your host, Jared Palmgren. We got a massive special lined up for you guys today. Today, we'll be running through the first way too early mock draft for CFF 2022. Now, who is we? Well, my friends, I want to do something special here. And I I'm going to bring in 12, you heard me, 12 different college fantasy analysts into this draft, and each one of them is going to talk about their teams and their experiences slash lessons from this draft. Before each pick, I'll briefly introduce each expert, and then they'll each take their turn answering a series of questions I've laid out for them, as well as bringing their own analysis to the table. So you'll be hearing from 12 different points of view for this draft, as well as where things stand in CFF heading into 22. 2022, excuse me, all in this one special. I want to thank each and all of these experts, and I'll make sure to thank them individually once they've concluded their segments. Each of their Twitter Twitter handles will be provided below, so please go and follow each and every one of them if you haven't already. This draft and special would not be possible without them dedicating their time and their effort to providing you guys the best analysis. Also, This special will not be the only analysis we'll provide on this draft. If you wish to see the full draft board, please go to my Twitter at CFF underscore Jared, and you'll find a post there with the full draft board. In addition, a second Jason Natty episode will be released in the coming days with myself and special guest Chris Moxley analyzing the draft round by round. Please make sure to check that out as well. Finally, if this is your first time coming to Chase and the Natty channel, I hope you guys stick around and you can make sure you can by clicking that subscribe button and that notification bell. In addition, please leave comments down below about anything regarding this draft. Finally, if you're listening on the podcast vers- version of this special, please make sure you're following us on whatever platform you're listening to and that you leave those wonderful, wonderful five-star reviews. Now, before we begin, Let me go over the format of the draft as well as the roster requirements so you guys understand what's going on here. The draft was made up of 12 different CFF analysts and was conducted in a snake order. The order was determined by random chance. If you have to know, uh, it was that fun little racehorse generator that uh, people use to determine draft order a lot, if you really have to know. Uh, But in addition, uh, there was nine rounds in this draft as it is very early in the offseason and most rankings haven't been finalized enough for us to go much deeper than that and the roster was made up of course with that of nine starting roster spots by the end of the draft each team will have contained two quarterbacks two running backs three wide receivers one tight end and then one flex of their choice no bench players so that should cover everything you all will need to know to enjoy the rest of the special. With that being said, let's go ahead and introduce our first expert, Matt Hicks, owner of the Rookie Big Board channel and host of last year's King's Classic Draft livestream. Matt was the lucky person to receive this year's 101 pick. As for who he picked, I'll let Matt tell you as he starts us off here. 
All right, this is Matt Hicks of the Rookie Big Board. You can find me on Twitter at the FF underscore educator. I am the co-host of the Rookie Big Board podcast, Rookie Profile Series, along with John Lobb, the Great Iron Scholar, who is also in this mock draft. I had the pleasure of having the 101 and I took full advantage of it going Travion Henderson off the bat, the running back from Ohio State. And then I just leaned in hard into the running back side of things. I went Will Shipley at 212, and I went uh, Jacovius Marks at 412. So three of my first four picks were running backs. That's not something I normally do, but I am pretty happy it worked out this way. Uh, looking at the landscape of the running back position here early on in the CFF game. Now I have to tell you, I'm... I think higher than most on the uh, Jaquavius Marks and Will Rogers Mississippi State stack. If you look at what Marks was able to contribute in passing game volume, I think 412 is an absolute steal. He was doing that as a true sophomore in the first season of the Mike Leach offense there at Mississippi State. And then you look at that Will Rogers stack. I believe he finished the season over 70% completion, super high volume. And again, the first year in that system, Will Rogers was free going into last year because folks didn't expect him to win out that job. It always made a lot of sense. Will Rogers was trained in a quasi-Mike Leach high school system, so it made a ton of sense for me. Uh, so I did go running back early, but I had to make sure in the first three rounds uh, to also get my hands on Will Rogers. Now, it's always tough picking at the turn because you kind of get to miss out on runs. So I don't want to really give my draft in the perspective of, of everybody else's because you almost do draft in isolation when you're drafting on the turns. But when I look at my favorite picks in this draft, obviously I just talked about that stack. I really like that. Uh, for me, Travion Henderson is the 101. Now, you know, you certainly could get into it with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, I seriously debated Bijan Robinson as well. I think I just trusted uh, Ohio State's offense overall a little bit more than Texas's. And Travion Henderson, although the volume wasn't really there, I did, you know, he showed the ability to contribute to the passing game, so I'm hoping that comes through as well. And I think folks are really sleeping on Will Shipley. I don't think he's going 212 uh, in July or August. I think Will Shipley is going to be uh, pushing a high second round pick. And so I was definitely happy to get him there at 212. 501, I was very happy with my pick of Dante Cephas, the wide receiver out of Kent State. Uh, great great volume uh, in production as a, I believe, true sophomore, if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head. And so Cephas is somebody who I will be watching closely out of the Mac, especially with Kent State. Now, there's a little bit of question here. You know, what does it look like post-Dustin Crum? Of course, whenever you're going from a quarterback who has taken control of the offense over a couple of years, there's always a little bit of hesitancy there. But, you know, we're drafting in January. Let's lean into the volatility a little bit. Now, I got to tell you, the pick that I regret now is at 612 I picked Isaiah Nayer and I'm going to get into a little bit more about this uh, as I kind of touch on the end of my draft here my regrets or I should say you know trends that I'm looking forward but you know when it comes back to my regrets here at the time I made this pick it was when Nayer had committed to Tennessee and you know, of course, now he has flipped to the other UT and he's going to be at Texas. You look at Nayer in Tennessee, he would have been in Josh Heupel's high-octane passing offense. There would have been, I think, a really good shot at increased volume. Now, I would say at 6'12", in three months, in six months, Nayer still could be going off the board late 
uh, late sixth round if, big if, we trust this Steve Sarkeesian offense. If we, uh, if it is clearly Quinn Ewers, if he's looking good out of camp, and if Nair is going to be kind of uh, playing uh, opposite of Isaac, of Worthy there, if that is going to be a little more locked and loaded than we can project at this point in time. But when I made this pick, I thought he was with Tennessee, and I liked his volume opportunity a lot more. Now I have to tell you, I am an uncomfortable. Uh, drafter when it comes to waiting on quarterbacks. And so the next quarterback I got was Jake Hayner. Went back to Fresno State there. So, of course, he's got that, that G5 bump. He's got a good production there for Fresno State. I thought in the seventh round, that was a really good value. If you look at the quarterbacks that went off just before me, it was Jackson Dart at 6'10". Still don't know. Uh, where Jackson Dart's going to be. It was Tyler Van Dyke at 6'11". I loved what Tyler Van Dyke showed out of Miami this year, but I'm I'm nervous about Mario Cristobal's offense. He's ruined offensive weapons before in terms of, of, of CFF, so... When I, when I compare Jake Hayner to those two guys, I'm happy with the value, but I am somebody who is much, much more comfortable getting his two quarterbacks early, although it does seem to be the overall trend was this seventh round was when folks got their second quarterback, so I don't hate those picks. A couple flyers there in the eighth and ninth with Marshawn Ford, the tight end out of Louisville, had to slide in that tight end position, uh, and Hassan Beydoun, the wide receiver out of Eastern Michigan, uh, coming in there at 9.01. You know, when I'm looking at players across the board here uh, as potential risers at this point in time I'm almost removing player names from the equation and I want to look at offenses and systems and players that have the potential uh, to gain value over the next couple months and so obviously I have a little bit of bias here and but I just referred to it uh, there is incredible opportunity here in this Josh Heupel uh, Tennessee offense we saw super high production Saw a very successful Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker went 306 uh, in this mock draft. I think that's a perfectly fine spot for Hendon Hooker to go. I think we could see him going even early third, even late second in two quarterback uh, CFF drafts, which this mock was. As we get closer to August, super productive. High volume offense. Uh, Hendon Hooker himself ran the ball as well as threw the ball. And again, first year in that system. But let's look at the wide receiver play, right? Uh, we have uh, some serious opportunity there. Of course, Tillman is coming back, and he should really be the dude. Uh, but there's going to be opportunity up that depth chart here. And I don't even want to throw out that many names because it is a wide open competition. So I would say watch that Tennessee wide receiver room specifically here over the next couple months and also watch Tennessee uh, to get a transfer running back. They haven't nailed one yet. They're being really patient, but especially if they have pass catching prowess, because I think that is really being slept on as well in that offense. Uh, and so that would certainly be the kind of approach that I would look for there in terms of players who could see their value rise a little bit here as we move on. Now, the other player that I will mention because I absolutely have to, because I have to stay on brand, uh, Eric Gray, 9-11 here. He went round nine, pick 11 uh, to Oklahoma. When I look at that here, I see an opportunity for Eric Gray uh, to be much higher than the second to last pick. He looked absolutely fantastic in spring ball last year. I don't know what happened. He lost out that job early in the season. You have to think a kid as talented as that, through uh, both on the ground and through the passing attack, is going to have the ability there to try and take over, especially with this uh, transition at the quarterback position happening here. And, and so that is certainly somebody else who I would be looking at potentially right 
rising up here over the next few months. So that's kind of my breakdown here on that 101 overall pick drafting out of that slot. Again, Matt Hicks with the Rookie Big Board. You can check out the podcast. You can check out the YouTube channel with the Rookie Big Board name. You could also go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter at the FF underscore educator. Thank you very much, Matt. I know you specifically were very busy during this time, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this draft and special. Next up, representing Fantasy Points, it's the CFF guys himself, Mr. Josh Chevalier, picking from the 102 spot. Take it away, Josh. Hey, my name is Josh Chevalier, and um, I'm at CFF guys on Twitter. I also work for Fantasy Points as a CFF analyst, and so thank you, Jared, for having me on. Uh, this mock draft, I had the second pick in the draft, and so uh, I went with Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, with my second pick, and that was, you know, also my my favorite pick of the draft. Um, so had a lot of fun doing this draft. Uh, my strategy going in was really just to target wide receivers early um, because I feel like there are less quality wide receivers, at least that we know of right now, than at running back or quarterback. And so that's what I did early, went Jackson Smith and Jigba and then A.T. Perry. Um, and then from there, just went best player available in my eyes. I wanted to target also one of the top two tight ends for me, which are uh, Brock Bowers and Michael Mayer. So playing here was just to let Brock Bowers or Michael Mayer go. And then uh, whenever they got picked, I would, I would aim for the other one. And so I got Michael Mayer and the fourth round um, was, I do think that both Brock Bowers Brock Bowers and Michael Mayer will go earlier in drafts um, kind of as the season or the offseason goes along um, just because there's a pretty, to me, a pretty big tier drop off after those two at the tight end position. Um, and so, but I was really happy getting Michael Mayer at the end of the fourth round. Um, yeah, if I was going to do anything differently uh, next time, I would probably, I got Tyler Van Dyke in the sixth round, which I still I think it's great value at the end of the sixth. Um, but I probably just would have completely punted uh, the quarterback position until really the, the eighth or ninth round until um, because there's just so many quality quarterbacks this year uh, in CFF. And same thing with running backs. I felt like I got Ulysses Bentley in the seventh round and then Ontario Brown uh, running back in Northern Illinois. I got him in the, in the, them in the seventh and the ninth round respectively. And I feel like that was just, great value so um definitely again i'm targeting wide receivers early in drafts um i think wide receivers are harder position to predict anyways for most people and so if i know i can get a sure thing like at perry uh who's got sam hartman coming back at wake forest or jackson smith and jiggly who's got cj stroud returning um then i'm gonna i'm gonna target those guys and um and then i feel like running backs a lot easier to predict and more quality later on. So that was my strategy um, in this draft. I think I was able to accomplish it. Um, yeah, it was really fun to be able to do this. A bunch of great guys uh, were in on this one. And um, I'm, I'm interested to see just kind of how other drafts go from here and how they roll out and who falls and, and who rises. Um, I do think Brock Bowers 
uh, and Michael Mayer probably will uh, creep up into the third round uh, in subsequent drafts, um, just because there's, again, there's such a big drop off after those two. And um, kind of last thing, uh, question here was asked of name someone you drafted just to get people talking about them. And for me, that would be Ontario Brown um, in the ninth round. I don't know where other people have them, but the uh, Northern Illinois line is just incredible. Thomas Hammocks has done a great job of building up that line. And so between him and um, Harrison Whaley, like you can't go wrong, but uh, with Rakovich uh, graduating and Jay, Jay Ducker moving on to Memphis, man, that, that backfield is wide open. Uh, and uh, Rakovich was more of the goal line back. And so with him gone, Brown is, is the bigger back between him and Whaley. So I'm targeting him. I think he's going to get goal line touchdowns. And um, the guy was just incredible over the last three or four weeks. And it's just so evident from watching Northern Illinois play that um, Hammocks finally got uh, the personnel he wants in there, and he's going to run the ball as much as possible. So I want as much interior Brown as I can get this offseason. Uh, and if I can't get him, I'll get Harrison Whaley. So I think both of those guys will be quality. Uh, but prefer Brown because of the goal line touchdowns. So, Jared, man, thanks for putting this on, dude. I really appreciate it and uh, allowing me to be a part of it. Uh, good luck to everyone this offseason as they plan out their own strategies. See ya. Josh, thank you so much for coming on here. Always a blast to have you on board, even if you somehow always get the top three pick. Up next, we have Mr. Anthony Mustin, a.k.a. Farnsworth, representing the Ankle Biter CFF podcast. Tony has the 103 spot. What do you have to say, Tony? What's up? What's going on, good people? I am Tony Mustin, a.k.a. Farnsworth, one half of the dynamic duo of the Ankle Biters podcast, college fantasy football podcast. Check us out. Look us up. Seek us out. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. That's at CFF Nation. That's the handle. Make sure you follow, like, interact, all of that good stuff. I want to thank you, Jared. Big, big thank you to my boy, Jared Palmgren, for inviting me on to the uh, first ever uh, way too early mock draft for the 2022 season, college fantasy football season. Thank you, sir, for the consideration. Thank you for the invitation. I was honored to grace the platform and be named amongst some of the greatest and brightest minds in the CFF industry in the Twitter sphere. I was very, very honored to be a part of it. Uh, thankfully, I had the third pick, not the first pick or the last pick, but I had the third pick, which was great. Um, overall, my team was, a, I'd say on a scale of one to 10, it was probably a five, maybe a six. Uh, of course, this is the first draft of the season, my draft that is, of the season. So it's a lot of hit and miss there. You guys are kind of filling out value and opinion of where other guys stand on certain players. So you kind of pull back, you don't kind of go all the way out, which is one of my regrets, not just going all the way in. Because if you ask me what was my favorite pick was, it would probably be Jackson Dart, whom I took in the sixth round, because I think there's a heavy Ole Miss lean right there. I think it was a steal to take him uh, in the sixth round. But uh, on the flip side of that coin, one of my least favorite picks, again, because of where guys are kind of filling other guys out uh, as far as value and opinion on other players. Man, I took, uh, I believe it was Keaton Mitchell running back from the ECU in uh, the fifth round. 
Uh, that was my least favorite pick because it was a knee-jerk reaction to missing on Zach Evans the previous round. Uh, I debated between Milton Wright, wide receiver for Purdue, between he and Zach Evans, who is at Ole Miss now. And I took Milton Wright, and just a few picks later, shout out to Colin, he picked up Zach Evans in the fourth round. And so Keaton Mitchell was kind of a knee-jerk reaction to that. My least favorite pick. So, But yeah, man, that was pretty much... Uh, a fun experience. I loved every bit of it. Loved the interaction. Loved the convo in the chat. Uh, I loved to see and hear uh, and even explore, uh, pick the brains of uh, some of their minds. They don't know I'm doing that, but I'm doing it even though I'm not always interacting and engaging in dialogue. I'm always uh, taking things in. I'm always learning. I'm always filing things away so that I could be uh, the best uh for whatever that's, 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 that's coming up during the season, whether it be redraft, whether it be dynasty, for whatever kind of uh, format, league format, you want to be at your best and you want to incorporate different ideas and a variety of thinkers can help you get to that place. But, yeah, man, that's pretty much it for me. Again, thank you, Jared, for inviting me on. Thank you for the consideration, the invitation, all of that good stuff. Extremely honored. Uh, that's it for me. Till then, peace out. I'm done. Tony, I appreciate you bringing that cool, laid-back analysis that we've all come to love to this draft. Up next, we have the team from over at CFF Insiders representing none other than, well, CFFinsiders.com. They'll be picking out of the 104 spot. Let's see what they did. What is up, Chasing the Natty Nation? This is Justin from CFFinsiders.com. Very glad to be back on the podcast again. Jared does a fantastic job with the podcast each and every week, and he certainly did a fantastic job getting us all together to do this mock draft here at the beginning. I always love these way too early mock drafts. I don't know if it applies to everybody else, but I get to these points, and I always am like, I don't know where anybody's going to go. I normally don't know who the top player off the board is at this point in time. I really don't think this year that any of us knew that uh, anybody was going to be the surefire number one player off the board. I think we were all just happy that Josh from the CFF guys did not get the top pick again because he got it so many times last year. And so uh, I'm going to get into it and just kind of outline my lineup here and answer some questions that Jerry laid out for us. Uh, so the first question he asked if, is, uh, did we like the team that we drafted? Who was our favorite pick and who was our least favorite pick? Uh, of course, I did like the team that I drafted. Uh, I Just to give you a brief rundown of my team, I ended up with Sam Hartman from Wake Forest as my QB1 and Adrian Martinez, who has left Nebraska and has gone over to Kansas State. I love me some Kansas State quarterbacks. Uh, anybody who's listened to CFF stuff for a long time knows that I backed Skylar Thompson a little bit too early. I've really enjoyed seeing his success throughout his career. I love those K-State guys. Who doesn't remember how fantastic Colin Klein was? Adrian Martinez going to Kansas State was a fantastic move on his part, so I had to scoop him up. I ended up with three running backs. Uh, the I'm sure you've already heard a hundred times about how the roster was set up, but I'm going to go ahead and reiterate it again. Uh, went two, uh, two quarterbacks, 
two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, and a flex player. So I went three running backs. So that means I got the two and then picked up another one to be my flex player. And so as we go down my roster with my first round pick at pick number four, I ended up with getting Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn over there at Kansas State is a fantastic player. He showed out last season uh, and is one of the top running backs returning this season. And so I had to pick him up early on. I even mentioned in the chat that I couldn't believe that these guys were so nice as to let me have Deuce Vaughn um, at the four spot instead of, you know, picking up anybody else, even though there was plenty of talent on the board. I love Deuce Vaughn. He's a fantastic player, especially in this type of league that we consider to be a half PPR league. And so uh, Deuce Vaughn would absolutely clean up in those types of leagues. My second running back who I took in the third round was Tank Bigsby from Auburn. Uh, Tank had moments of greatness last year, and he definitely had moments of lows. Uh, and so I'm hoping that his late season production is something that should be encouraging for this season and that we can trust simply what Brian Harson has done in the past as evidence of what Tank Bigsby can do. And then my third running back was Braden Bennett from Coastal Carolina. So I love Braden Bennett first and foremost because Braden Bennett is six foot three playing running back. That dude is a behemoth of an individual and is finally out there on his own. He's a fantastic receiver for Coastal Carolina. Uh, and I'm just incredibly excited to see what he gets to do this season. Uh, being the lone guy, no more Shamari Brooks, no more Reese White. It has just been at season back there. And so I'm very excited to see what he does. If you take a look back at what he was able to do last season on even minimal touches there for Coastal Carolina, uh, you'll see that in twice last season, he was able to top 100 yards on the ground. And that was on less than 10, uh, less than 10 touches. Um, in the final game against Northern Illinois, Bennett ended up with 100 yards rushing and 47 yards receiving. There were multiple games where he hit awesome numbers for a guy with little opportunity as a receiver as well as, as a rusher. And so I'm very excited to see what he gets to do this season. And then we're going over to my wide receiver stable that I picked up in this group. These three guys, to answer a different question that Jared asked, Name someone you drafted just to get people talking about them. And I think that I pretty well did that with all three of my wide receivers. And so the first wide receiver I picked up was Jalen McMillan for Washington. Now, I got a lot of crap on Twitter from some Washington Husky fans last year about some takes that I had about their offense. As much as, as, much as I didn't want it to be true, their offense was putrid. And this season, it's very much not going to be because – Kalen DeBoer is coming over from Fresno State, and that means that he's bringing that phenomenal offense that he had at Fresno State, took with him to Indiana, and then came back to Fresno State over to Washington. And that was a fantastic hire. I still think it might have been my favorite hire of the offseason was Washington bringing in DeBoer. And Jalen McMillan is going to be the guy who benefits from that transition the most. If they can get any half-decent quarterback play, Jalen McMillan's going to rack up on receptions, and he's going to end up with 
a great deal of yards because of that, because he is very, very talented. Uh, Dante Wright was my next receiver. I took these guys for uh, fourth round and fifth round. So McMillan in the fourth round, and I followed it up with Dante Wright from Colorado State in the fifth round. Dante Wright is a guy that I had high hopes for when Mike Bobo came in and then immediately felt embarrassed when I had spent half of my free agency acquisition budget on him just for Steve Adazio to come in there and ruin me having all used all that free agent acquisition budget to get him. And then for his what is likely his final year of college football, we get Jay Norvell going over to Colorado State, and he's going to bring that fantastic passing offense back over. And Dante Wright, even in Adazio's offense, still managed to be fantasy relevant. And he's certainly going to be this year. And I think the receiver that I am the most excited about, and I feel like the least amount of people are talking about, is Caden Prather from West Virginia. So I'm not entirely sure who they're going to end up playing for quarterback at West Virginia, but to know that Graham Harrell has moved over from USC to do offense here at West Virginia. And if we've seen anything from the USC offenses other than a quarterback getting injured and a freshman standing up, stepping up and playing big just to get replaced by the next freshman, it's that they can produce some fantasy-relevant wide receivers. Michael Pittman and Drake London were freaking phenomenal the last several seasons. And now Graham Harrell is going over to West Virginia. And Caden Prather, who is a big-bodied four-star recruit, is going to lead the way there. They liked him in the spring of last year. He played a little bit throughout the year for West Virginia. And he's going to step up in a much bigger way here in 2022, and I could not be more excited about Prather. I think all three of these guys are guys you're going to see on my rosters when we start doing the best ball leagues this year, even if I have to fight somebody to pick them up every every draft. McMillan, Wright, and Prather are all three guys that I'm going to be targeting very heavily. And then to end my list here, I went with my lone tight end spot. Uh, I'm sure by now, Either by now you've already heard from the great Eric Froton uh, or you're about to hear from the great Eric Froton. But uh, he ended up picking just before I did in the eighth round, literally a pick ahead of me. Zach Koontz from Old Dominion. I was going to go Zach Koontz from Old Dominion there, given that he was the clear best wide receiver still left on the table at that point in time. He came and snatched him up. In the great words of Scott Bogman, you can't complain about a, a round eight snipe, so I'm not going to complain about it. I missed my opportunity at him. That's my fault. So I ended up going with Payne Durham, tied in from Purdue. Uh, Payne Durham started off the year super strong against Oregon State, seven receptions, 120 yards, and two touchdowns. Ended up kind of keeping that pace up the next game with four receptions, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Slowed down a little bit after that and picked it right back up. In uh, two of their bigger games of the year, and that was in a loss against Wisconsin. He caught nine passes, 112 yards, and a score, and then caught five balls for 85 yards and two touchdowns in their bowl game against Tennessee. Uh, when David Bell wasn't on the field, this guy was fantastic. Um, and so I am looking for him to be a centerpiece of this Purdue offense next season uh, and step back up into that role that we liked seeing him in. And so, uh, Back through the questions here, uh, I think one of the bit more surprising players 
that didn't get drafted, I would have to say one of them would be Spencer Rattler. I know that Rattler has gone to South Carolina. He's not exactly a guy that we're all expecting to, you know, boom this season. But uh, Rattler is a very talented guy. Uh, He's going over to a South Carolina offense that I really think would be a lot better if they had anybody competent passing the football. Zeb Nolan was not the answer that they needed last year at all. And I don't think anybody thinks that he was. This guy is a much better upgrade. That backfield in Columbia is phenomenal. I think he's going to do wonders there in South Carolina. I think I can understand how he didn't get taken in a nine-round mock draft. be curious to see where he ends up going. And another guy that didn't get picked up that I thought should have was Blake Watson of Old Dominion. 216 carries last year for over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. Was fantastic down the stretch. I'm really excited to see what he gets to do for Old Dominion next year. So uh, I think that's all that I got. I'll hand it back over to Jared so he can introduce whoever's next. Thanks, everybody. Y'all can catch me on CFFinsiders.com or at InsiderCFF on Twitter. Very much appreciate the team from CFF Insiders for participating in this draft. Next up, we have the man who brings the party everywhere he goes, and that is Mr. Eric Froton. Froton will be representing NBC Sports Edge in this draft and will be picking out of the 105 spot. Take it away, Eric. Hi, I am Eric Froton with NBC Sports Edge here to talk about the way-too-early mock draft run by my friend, Jared Palmgren. So, uh, when it comes down to myself, I was in the fifth position, uh, 12 teams, so right around that middle spot. Uh, For the first round, I wanted a little bit of security in my quarterback room, Bryce Young, obviously the defending Heisman Trophy winner at the fifth selection. I felt pretty good about that, Uh, so I went with Mr. Young. I also strongly considered who Nick took with the sixth overall pick, who's B. John Robinson. Uh, But I opted for a little bit of the certainty, you know, having a a true QB1 with Bryce Young there. Uh, If I had to do it over again, which I know is one of the open discussion questions, I think I probably would take Bijan because the way the board unfolded, I felt like there was pretty good value at quarterback. But that being said, I went with Bryce Young uh, as as bankable as they get. And my second pick, uh, I was looking, obviously it's going to be either a wide receiver or a running back. I was looking wide receiver, frankly. And then Josh Downs went to Nick with the seventh pick. I was going to take uh, Josh Downs there if he made it to me. And he did not, of course. So thanks. I appreciate that, Nick. Nick did a good job getting Bijan and Josh Downs with his first two picks there. Uh, With Downs off the board, uh, I went with a running back. And I felt the most explosive, uh, you know, in terms of upside, I feel like it's as, as high as any backs that were really left on the board. I took Devin A-Chain for Texas A&M, taking over that number one spot with uh, Spiller obviously moving on to the NFL. You know, we'll see LJ Johnson probably take on that secondary role behind A-Chain. You know, obviously there's some, a a bit of a projection that goes into this, but he clearly carved out the passing down and, you know, RB2 niche. With Spiller gone, I think he, he pretty seamlessly floats in that RB1 mold. And even as the RB2 last year, he still scored 10 total touchdowns. Uh, I mean, he's still in double digits there. And that's something, you know, you get 10 touchdowns. That's pretty much what you're looking for out of your RB1. 
you want at least that. I feel like he's probably going to be in the 18, we call it 18 touchdown range. So, uh, you know, that's where I went. I also considered uh, Dwayne McBride, obviously UAB guy. Uh, so with the fifth pick in the third round, I went with uh, Dontavian Wicks, who a couple of reasons why. Obviously, Bronco Mendenhall left and you have a new regime there in Virginia. But you have pretty much their their whole skill position or at least passing unit comes back intact. Armstrong, Wicks, Kemp, Rayshon Henry, all of them, the entire starting uh uh, list is all going to be back. Obviously, Johnny Woods is not, but that just means a little more emphasis on the wide receivers. And with Wicks in particular, I don't see any reason why you'd want to change what's working at 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns last year. But in addition to that, it wasn't just the you know what he did; it's what he did on targets, which he only had 93 targets last year, which is a, still a good, respectable amount of targets. But it's not that 100 threshold that you really want to see that sort of guarantees uh, high-end production. I think he will get to that mark this year. Um, but what really made Wick special is what he did with those 93 targets, where he averaged 18.5 average depth of target. So with that ADOT, to put it in perspective, any wide receivers with, with 85 or more targets last year, uh, Wicks led the entire country with 18 and a half. The next closest was Devin Tompkins at 15 and a half. So he actually had led all returning receivers and all receivers last year by two and a half yards of target depth. That is, I mean, as, as clear cut as it gets when it comes to, he is a devastating deep threat. And I st think with Armstrong still back, you'll see him continue to be used in that capacity by the new coaching staff. And uh, I'm really excited about Dontavian Wicks. I have him a couple different leagues in a dynasty format. And uh, I think that he's going to be worthy of being a, a wide receiver one. I think it'd be one of the top 12 wideouts. And then following it up, this is, I actually take four straight receivers here. I'm not sure why. I guess it just kind of, uh, that's the way the board fell when I had the opportunity to be, be picking. So, uh, and then I went with, and this is the answer to one of the questions we have, the open optional discussion questions Jared put out. Uh, name someone you drafted to get people to talk about them. This is my guy there. Marvin Harrison Jr., anybody who saw that Utah versus uh, Ohio State shootout in the Rose Bowl knows Marvin Harrison Jr. is the real deal. And uh, both him and Emeka Igbuka, who I also really love, was undrafted here. I I'm a big fan of this year. I think he's going to be great, too. Uh, those two, both of them will probably man the outside roles that you saw occupied by Wilson and Olave. I think, you know, Njigba will probably flex out there a little bit, but he was so devastating in the slot. I don't see why you changed that. So Marvin Harrison Jr., phenomenal spring game. Three touchdown coming out party against Utah uh, in the fourth round of the eighth pick. I feel great about that. And it, to some extent, you know, you want to get people talking. So uh, that, uh, you know, might be a little bit of a stretch, but, you know, that's what we're here for. With my fifth pick, I took Corey Rucker, Arkansas State. Corey Rucker was a top 15 selection in 2021. And most people's boards had him at least a top 20 receiver. You know, here we are in the fifth round. I would have said last year was probably going off the way closer to the third. Here we are two rounds down from his 2021 ADP uh, at the fifth round. And, you know, a little over 800 yards, nine touchdowns last year, had 101 targets. Uh, but with Rucker, with offense coordinator Kirk Heckendorf, you know, obviously uh, Blake Anderson moved off to Utah State. Butch Jones comes in, kind of more of the CEO role. I think they'll continue 
to adopt that high octane passing system. If they don't, then they don't, you know, obviously. But uh, Rucker was the number one guy there, you know, Travalence Hunt. I, I would probably put it as the two, but I think he continues to get a bulk, continues to get the 100 targets, maybe works his way up to 120 because, you know, Jonathan Adams and Omar Bayless were actually in like 150, 160 range of targets. So if he's going to be that true wide receiver one, I think his, his looks probably go up, probably gets to that 10 touchdown range, probably gets to 1,000 yards. And I think that's a pretty good deal in the fifth round. Uh, and then my last receiver I took, uh, you know, haven't – he's kind of a post-hype sleeper guy, you know. Uh, last year, a lot of buzz coming in, top 30 receiver. And Zay Flowers, wide receiver, Boston College, adversely affected by Phil Dracovic getting injured early on in the season, had to deal with Dennis Grossell, totally Grossell, uh, and his performance was indicative of that name. Uh, it's straight up running quarterback, terrible passing acumen. And then when you saw – uh, Dracovic come back uh, late in the season. You only got, I want to say, maybe you know three games or so. You saw uh, the production uptick uh, with, for Flowers, where he got, I want to say, ten targets in three of the last five games, and uh, you know crossed the hundred yard threshold. I want to say in each of those as well. I just think you have, you see Dracovic back, Flowers back, Garwo back. A top-notch offensive line, as BC always has. Uh, I, I think you see Flowers really – he's going to be what we thought he was going to be in 2021. That's what he's going to be this year. So I'm in on Zay Flowers. Uh, put him in my swing, which myself and Nate Marchesi, he also went with four wide receivers. We were the only two teams to draft four wideouts in this half PPR format. But I just couldn't let Flowers go. I wanted to get him on my team because I felt like at – you know, in the sixth round, that is a great deal considering where he was drafted last year. And then that was the last wide receiver moving on to fill out the rest of my positions. Tanner Mordecai in the seventh round, fifth selection overall. I think that's a great deal. I mean, I was really surprised. He threw 41, or he accounted for 41 touchdowns, 39 in the air, two on the ground last year. And while he loses Danny Gray, when it comes to Mordecai, uh, you know, they hired Rhett Lashley. Obviously, Sonny Dykes went over to TCU. And Rhett Lashley was their offensive coordinator in 2020, which they didn't have any problems scoring any points as well. I think they keep with a fairly wide-open passing attack uh, offense. I think Mordecai, 40 touchdowns coming in. Right as rain. You know, bankable SMU. Rasheed Rice still there. I think Jordan Curley takes a step as a, as a pretty potent deep threat replaces Roberson I don't have any problems with that there I think that's a good deal going in with Bryce Young and Tanner Mordecai sign me up let's rock and roll and then on the way back with my eighth pick the eighth selection in the eighth round uh, a pick I'm actually you know another uh, one of Jared's questions that he put on there um, you know which players do you you expect to rise or fall in drafts as the year goes on this is a player I think will be rising in the drafts that are coming up here. Zach Kuntz, tight end, Old Dominion, uh, as the season went on. I mean, you just can't say enough about how Kuntz's usage skyrocketed. Uh, for a little bit of perspective, in his last 10 games, he saw double-digit targets in seven of them. That is just a superhuman workload for a tight end. Uh, and as you might expect on the target front, he had 112 last year. There's only one tight end in all of the nation that had more targets, and that was Trey McBride, who is now gone. He is in the NFL. 
In fact, Kuntz and McBride are the only two tight ends to receive over 100 targets last year. So, um, you know, with that kind of usage, second to last pick, uh, I, I just think the, the value for Zach Kuntz and his 112 targets, gosh, you, you simply can't beat that. So I'm, go, I, I'm pretty, pretty pumped about that selection. I thought it was a great deal. And then my last selection with the fifth pick in the ninth round, Marquez Cooper running back. Uh, Kent State, obviously they lose Dustin Crum, you know, however, hey, Cooper's back, you know, this is his first year starting, started every game last year for him, accounted for at least 20 rushes in five of the last six games for Kent State, uh, 1,300 total yards, 10 touchdowns, uh, I just feel like, you know, with Crum gone, they will, and with a, another kind of, you know, under the radar thing, this is an excellent rushing team. I think you're going to continue to see that sort of a pacing. Cooper getting his 20 carries, I think that's a great deal. I mean, last round, running back, getting a, a bankable starter. He is diminutive at 5'6", but it doesn't – I mean, he scored six touchdowns over the last six games. So he wasn't shied away from in the goal line situations. Uh, I think that's a pretty good deal. With him, Oklahoma's running back situation with just about everything else, uh, we've seen – we're going to see a renewed focus and improvement import on the spring practices i mean we don't know all these new guys in town we don't know how these you know the carries are going to be divided up we're going to have to rely on the beat writers even more so and these spring games i'm going to be absolutely inhaling them because you're going to get a chance to see how these workloads are going to divvy up and they tend to give you a pretty good uh, portal into what at least it's going to open up like in spring for those jobs so uh, that's, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts of my team. Uh, I'm going to go over these questions, see if I missed anything. My favorite pick. Okay. Did I like the team I drafted? Yeah, I like it. Uh, I'm content with it. Uh, obviously I think some of these selections are going to change as the season goes on, but I'm cool with what I did. I thought so. I got some pretty good deals. Um, my favorite pick, I think it's probably Zach Koontz value wise, uh, second to last selection with all those targets. Least favorite pick. I'll go with, I wish I got one of those wide receivers uh, it was my second pick. I, I, I would have liked to have gotten worthier down. So I felt like I was a little bummed out that I didn't get one of those guys and then could have kind of pivoted to a running back with my next pick. But, uh, you know, for the situation, I'm still happy with A-Chain. I'm just looking at it as, uh, you know, I think I, I could have done better if I got a wide receiver there. And if I could have done something different, I think I probably would have went running back. I would have went Bijan over Bryce Young in the first round. Seeing the way that there was really good quarterback value down the board. K.J. Jefferson, seventh round. Aiden O'Connell, seventh round. Uh, Anthony Richardson, eighth round. Okay, so that'll pretty much wrap up what I have to say about the team. I know I went a little bit long. Uh, I get so excited talking about this stuff. So thank you very much for listening to my musings on this draft. So uh, I look forward to competing with all of you in 2022 and have a great divisional playoff weekend. It's always a great time when you can get Froton involved. Coming up next, we have the living, breathing CFB spreadsheet himself, Mr. Nicholas Allen, representing CFB Winning Edge. Nick will be pitting, picking out of the 106 spot right in the middle of the draft. So what can we expect there, Nick? Hi, this is Nicholas Ian Allen of CFB Winning Edge. You can find me on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge on patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. I had the sixth pick in the draft and took Bijan Robinson from Texas. Followed that in the second round with Josh Downs, wide receiver of North Carolina. 
Hendon Hooker, quarterback of Tennessee in the third round. Chris Rodriguez, running back Kentucky in the fourth. My fifth round pick was Ja'Cory Brooks, wide receiver Alabama, followed by Allie Jennings, wide receiver Old Dominion in the sixth round. Seventh round, I took KJ Jefferson, quarterback of Arkansas. In the eighth, Sean Tyler, running back from Western Michigan. And finally, Brent Keithy, Brent Keithy, tight end from Utah in the ninth round. I, I don't normally like any team I draft, just for whatever reason. That's always how I feel at the end. I, I wish I had done something different. So I don't really have an, an immediate favorite pick. But one of the things that I am uh, trying to do, break a habit, of mine is to take more chances on guys who are a little more unproven. And even though my strategy in this draft was to, for the most part, stay pretty vanilla, guys who are coming off of highly productive years in good systems when possible, uh, the Brooks pick was a little bit of a step out for me. So in some ways, that's, you know, a step in the right direction for me is to pick a guy that you know, isn't the number one receiver coming back in, in his on his team. And, and even though there's a highly like you know, high likelihood that he'll have a productive season, there are certainly some questions as to whether or not he'll actually be the number one option for Alabama in twenty twenty two. Least favorite pick again, I was pretty vanilla. There weren't very many that I had a problem with. But I will say after I took Jennings in the sixth round, I had a, a little bit of a, a wish that I had maybe gone in a different direction. Eric Froton picked right after me, selected Zay Flowers, and I thought to myself, you know, even though Flowers uh, didn't have a great year in, in 2021, I, I do agree that he's a better player and probably has a pretty good shot to, to end up with a better season than Jennings. So uh, just that as an example, but also... There were probably uh, some other players selected relatively quickly after Jennings that I, I kind of wish I had taken as well. Something that I'd do differently next time, I think I will need to draft receivers earlier. I avoided Josh Downs a lot in 2021, in part because of my reluctance to take guys who you know didn't really have a, a long track record of success, but I pretty quickly learned during the 2021 season that Josh Downs is special, just an incredibly gifted player and, and uh, was somebody that I, you know, wanted to go after. But I, you know, waited a little bit to take my second and third receivers and, and there aren't nearly as many, it seems, highly productive experienced receivers coming back in 2022. So I think to go out, go after those top tier guys early, the depth just isn't quite their receiver, as in most years, compared to other positions like quarterback and running back, when you really could get high quality guys a bit later in the draft. So I would probably look to select at least two receivers in the first three rounds, uh, might even go even heavier on receiver, depending on where I select next time around. The other questions here, something that surprised me about the draft, I was a little bit surprised that we had our first tight end go off the board, first pack, first pick of the fourth round, but it became you know pretty clear the consensus in the 
the draft room that there's a top tier, pretty small top tier of tight ends. And to get one of those guys, Bowers, Michael Meyer, you're, you're probably going to have to be really aggressive. And so I, I, you know, looking back on it, shouldn't have, have been surprised. But thinking back to when we did our, our first draft last year, and obviously there was a little bit different thought about the, the group of tight ends being a, a pretty deep group last season. We waited a little longer as a group, and I was pretty early. I, I believe I selected the first tight end in that draft in maybe the, the sixth round, and it seemed like the rest of the group uh, waited a couple of rounds after that even. So that was a little bit of a surprise this go-round, but I don't necessarily expect that that'll change. I, I would think that if you want one of those top two guys, uh, maybe you know a third or fourth guy eventually will break into that group but it seems like you're going to have to be pretty pretty aggressive to get one of them. The players that I expect to rise or fall, I think it's a little early for me to have a specific group in mind for that. Yeah, I think it's uh, – I don't necessarily have a, a great feel for that quite yet. The Alabama receiving core, I think we'll definitely see some movement there. There was some speculation – during the draft, uh, Jermaine Burton uh, announced that he was entering the transfer portal, Georgia wide receiver. Some early speculation that Alabama could be in the mix for him. Obviously, Alabama's losing Mechie and Williams, so there is now a little bit of a history with Alabama going into the transfer portal for a receiver and seeing that receiver step into a big-time role immediately. So that, you know, situations like that certainly, I think, could impact who rises and falls there's also some conversation that JoJo Earl, I know, Jared, you, you took Earl not long after I had taken Brooks and, and said that you were going to make the claim that he's going to be the guy to be the, the number one option there in 2022. So situations like that where there's not an obvious heir apparent or maybe, you know, the, the heir apparent to the most productive role in the offense or at that position, you know, might not even be on the roster yet. I think that's probably where we're definitely going to see a lot of movement. Could be Alabama, could be a few others. Um, but that, that I think, is the first thing that comes to mind. There weren't very many immediate uh, options that or picks that struck me quite like that. Perhaps, you know, Brandon Sanders took Mitchell Tinsley in the third round before Parker Washington was selected. Uh, actually, John Lobb took him in the, the very next pick. I, that that was a, a little bit of a surprise. It, it it would, I guess, if I were to select a single player, it would be a little surprising for me if uh, Tinsley continues to be the the number one uh, Penn State receiver selected, just because a little bit different situation for him. Obviously, the offense is a little bit different. Uh, Tinsley uh, was incredibly productive, had a great season in 2021, but probably won't get quite the same volume and, and also, you know, wasn't quite as productive as, as Jareth Stern. So that might, he might fall a little bit, but I don't think that there were any, you know, super obvious choices for guys who were, who were taken way too early in this draft. The strategy that I think is best, again, I, I probably think it's, it's smart to prioritize wide receiver. And there's certainly some depth and, and more, you know, as we get a little bit more familiar with the returning production, with the new 
offensive systems in place, new coaching staffs, new offensive, you know, play callers, things like that. We'll probably feel the the wide receiver group start to fill out a little bit. There will be more options that will really pay off than maybe it seems like here in uh, mid to late January. But just based on my early assessment of this particular draft, it seems like guys who you know are going to be proven number one receivers, they're or just not as many, maybe, at this point. So probably we'll uh, want to prioritize wide receivers early on. And, uh, you know, I've, I've really started to feel pretty comfortable taking quarterbacks later. I did take Hooker in the third round. I might have been able to wait on him, but I certainly could have waited until the fifth, sixth, seventh round to take my first quarterback and, and felt pretty good with the two I would have come away with regardless. Someone that was uh, that I drafted to get people talking that that really wasn't something I intended to do with this draft, and again, it was uh, pretty straightforward for me. I relied, other than the Brooks pick, uh, really heavily on productive guys who were proven in 2021, and just kind of wanted to get a feel for value for the rest of you know what everybody else in the room thought of of players. I am, am going to try to mix things up a little bit in the future, but this go-round just wanted to be pretty plain, pretty simple, let other people make those picks to, to get people talking, to get some discussions out. I have a, a particular pecking order in the tight end group. There is a, another tight end that I think actually isn't too far off and might even be able to nudge his way into that top two, top three conversation with Bowers and Meyer. Kind of wanted to see where he might fall, so didn't actually select him early on, kind of get a, a read for value going in. But there were some, you know, some picks like that that I think are really interesting. Uh, Josh Chavier, uh, my apologies, Josh, if I mispronounced your name, made a, a couple of those that I really, really liked. John Rice Plumley moving to, to quarterback at UCF makes a lot of sense. He has an opportunity in, in that offense if he does move back full-time to you know, just put up a ton of rushing yards, touchdowns, and could certainly be a, a perfect fit. And he was someone I was considering as well, but just opted for for Jefferson. He's definitely someone, if, if we had the ability to take a third or fourth quarterback, would have been very high on, on my list of next guys I would target. But again, my draft was pretty vanilla, not necessarily, you know, wasn't my plan or, or priority to get too creative this time. Uh, I might do that if we have a little longer draft next go round. But I uh, do want to thank Jared. Thank you, Jared, for putting this together. A lot of the work that I do I mean, 90 plus percent of the work that I do is actually not CFF related. And, and so uh, my brain right now is not really focused on CFF day to day. And so it was good to knock the rust off a little bit and look at this new season with some fresh eyes and, and get the mindset to think a little bit more CFF specific and not just, you know, college football at large specific. So thank you for organizing that. Hopefully it was you know, helpful to the other folks who drafted. Hopefully it'll be helpful to your listeners. And uh, I know it was certainly helpful for me to be able to, to go through and, and also connect with everybody that we drafted with again after, you know, several months off or away during the season. So I enjoyed it. Thank you for putting it together. 
and uh, look forward to the next one. Take care. It's always a pleasure to have Mr. Nicholas Allen join us, considering he's one of the smartest guys I know in the space. Up next, we have JD Yonke, host of Yonkers CFB YouTube channel and DFS guru himself. JD will be picking out of the 107 spot, so JD, go ahead and take it from here. What's going on? JD Yonke here at Yonkers CFB on Twitter, uh, here to be talking about the way too early mock draft, the first CFF mock draft of the offseason. Uh, I drafted out of the seventh spot. Um, and basically, I was throwing my rankings together as the draft was going along because I have not sat down and uh, ranked every single person here. I had a vague idea. So uh, I did find it an educational experience uh, to get some idea on value where guys are going. Um, so I'm here to talk about what I learned from the draft and discuss my team. Um, so first off, first question, did I like my team? I'm going to say yes. I like my team. I don't love it. Uh, I do feel fairly confident in the squad, but it's not like I'm going outside and shooting off fireworks. My favorite pick, I think it's probably a cop-out. It's either Lou Nichols in the first round at seventh. I would take him there all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. But that seems a little too easy to go with your first-round pick. So I'm going to say Jordan Mims, my fifth-round pick, the running back from Fresno State. I got him at seventh pick in the fifth round. Least favorite pick, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say I have one, but it kind of ties into the next question on something I would do differently. Xavier Worthy, I took him in the second round from Texas. I was hoping to get one of the other top running backs to fall to me. Uh, Jameer Gibbs went two picks before my next pick, so I would have been very happy to go Lou Nichols, Jameer Gibbs to start. Um, so I ended up going Xavier Worthy uh, and Cedric Tillman. I got back-to-back -back wide receivers. I'm very confident with them. I'm, I'm probably going to have them both ranked uh, very high in my final rankings. But uh, if I did it over again, I would have taken A.T. Perry, who somehow lasted until the second to last pick of the second round, which is pretty insane. So if I would have thought that one through a little longer, that's what I would do over. Other than that, least favorite pick, I guess Gavin Bartholomew. I waited on tight end until the last round of this. It was nine rounds, uh, tight end from Pitt. I'm not exactly excited about Gavin Bartholomew. I am as a player, but for fantasy, he's not exactly someone that gets me, gets me going. All right, let's get into some other questions here. What's something that surprised you about the draft? I would say I was a little surprised Travion Henderson, running back from Ohio State, went number one overall. So we started with a little surprise for me. I was surprised at the sheer amount of great running backs there are. Um, I think I mentioned I wanted Gibbs in the second round. I almost got him. Uh, even Rasheen Ali went with the 12th overall pick from Marshall. That's fantastic value on Rasheen Ali. You have guys like Braylon Allen, Sean Tucker, Lou Nichols, Bijan Robinson, Deuce Vaughn. I mean, it's it's just a loaded year for running backs. So that kind of ties into one of the later questions. Some draft strategy, I think, is best for this year. It's not like I've totally figured out a strategy yet. It's a little too early for that. I just say I love the, love the running backs. I love them up top. I love the depth later on. I guess that means it's just a deeper year for running backs is my, my first opinion. Um, there's always a lot of good running backs in CFF, but this one seems even stronger than normal, in my opinion. Uh, you have guys like Marquez Cooper going in the last round, Sean Tyler in the eighth round, some great Mac players going later on. Uh, and there were some that went undrafted I'll talk about later. Um, so yeah, I guess if you, you're someone who wants to wait on a position, you could do that, or you could just get three stud running backs, four stud running backs. I think this is a year where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel confident about my running back room, uh, no matter what the strategy is. All right, next question. Players I see rising, players I expect to rise 
as the offseason goes on. There's a lot of them. I think Jordan Mims uh, should not last to the fifth round, and I don't think he will later on. Uh, Rashina Lee probably won't last until the 12th round. Rooster Knighton um, from Miami, the running back, he went in the, I believe he went in the eighth round. Yes, eighth round to John Lobb. And yeah, he was someone I was just sitting there staring at my rankings. I think he'll probably go a little higher than that. Showed a lot of promise, uh, both as a receiver and as a rusher. If they can ever get an offensive line in Miami, uh, he's going to go going to go crazy. Uh, Zach Koontz at the tight end position went in the eighth round. Probably going to have him ranked as my second or third tight end. I think once people realize the sheer amount of targets, uh, which my buddy Froton pointed out in the chat, I was a little annoyed he pointed out the sheer amount of targets. I don't think a lot of people realize that, that he received last year. So I think once people, you know, kind of notice what me and Froton are looking at here, I, I think Koontz is, is going to rise. Certainly, he almost almost lasted to me in the, in the very last round of this thing, and that, that's not going to continue. I think anyone on Texas Tech is going to rise once people realize they got Zach Kitley over there. I think there was only one Texas Tech player drafted, and that was me. Western Kentucky had a decent year last year for fantasy. So I think they're all going to rise. I think Cameron Ward, quarterback Washington State, is going to rise. I think any Hawaii players, now that Timmy Chang is there, are all going to rise. Fallers, I don't really have any fallers I want to point out, so I don't really want to hate on anyone's team saying they picked them way too early. Next question. Surprise undrafted players. I think some good backs went undrafted. Jarrell Brock from Iowa State. Pretty incredible he didn't get picked in the first nine rounds. Brees Hall's not there anymore, folks. Brock's a pretty good player. Nate Noel for App State. I think he's going to rise. Jaden Wally. He had a lot of hype last year, and now Makai Polk's out of the picture. And Jaden Wally didn't get drafted. As far as QB, there's not a ton. Maybe Seth Hennigan for Memphis. Had a very impressive freshman season. Uh, and other than that, I think that wraps it up. Um, so yeah, looking forward to getting into the mock drafting as we go. And I'm looking forward to hearing what everyone else says about the draft. Thank you again, JD, for joining us. Always glad to work with you. Up next, we have the man looking to give y'all an education. Representing the CFF University podcast and website, it's Mr. Brandon T. Sanders. Brandon is picking out of the 108 spot, and he's got plenty of picks he wants you talking about. So I'll let him tell you himself which ones those are. What's up, Jared and CTN Nation? Uh, this is Brandon Sanders. I'm from uh, College Fantasy Football University, and I got to uh, be a part of the very first way too early uh, 2022 CFF mock draft that uh, Jared was hosting. And he wanted us to give you some insight on some of the team stuff that we were able to come uh, kind of come up with during this time. Uh, it was very honestly fairly quick uh we got done with nine rounds within what three three and a half days so like uh it was a pretty cool draft and uh it was really cool um it says uh did you like the team that you drafted i actually do um my favorites is probably going to be the strategy i wanted to try something as far as the transfer quarterback so i really wanted to get ahead of the game so in the first round and i had the eighth pick and i took caleb williams with the lean on he's going to USC, if he decides to go somewhere else, whether it be UCLA, maybe he goes back to Oklahoma, then the strategy is probably obviously going to change as far as uh, the future mock drafts and things like that. But I wanted to get him, and then in the fourth round, I was able to get Quinn Ewers. Um, he just transferred to Texas, so I wanted to go ahead and get those top two prospects out of the way, have the young ones. Um, so whether you're looking at this in redraft format or you're looking at it in the dynasty, especially in dynasty, we're looking at two quarterbacks that can take you for another at least two years to three years as far as production and kind of get you um, into the playoff picture there as well. Uh, I'm a big touter of uh, Alton McCaskill, so I picked him up in the second round. 
Uh, love that kid from Houston. He uh, just exploded onto the scene and off the waiver wire and hasn't looked back ever since. Um, my So my favorite pick would probably have to be the Quinn Ewers in the fourth round. I thought that was good value, considering that as we get closer and closer to springtime, he might not be available for it as well. Um, and it says, what was your least favorite pick? Now, I'm a proponent of not really having tight end. Of course, the tight ends, they do play, and they're on every single team. So some people are like, hey, if it's in the NFL and college, you're going to probably want to do it as well over in uh, CFF as well. So I, uh, I like to take a flyer on my tight end. The cool thing about this mock draft is everyone was sniping everyone, and we're talking like from the get-go, like first round. So I literally had in my back of my mind, I was going to get Brant Cuthy like dead last and do it as well. Sure enough, our friend Nicholas Lee and Allen are over there at CFP Winning Edge in the same mindset, man. Took him. He took, because uh, that's Cameron Rising's boy, top target, so I, I love that pick. And I was hoping no one was thinking the same, but the good thing about this uh, community is that we all have um, similar when it comes to it, though we'll talk about in just a minute how we have some different mindsets. Um, so what's something I'm going to do differently next time? I think I'm going to probably try i don't want to expose everything but i might try with a wide receiver first mentality and see how that goes the good thing about mock drafts is you can play with them a lot more i just want to see what it was like to take a higher end two quarterbacks and see what was left uh i still got some great value blake corm in the fifth as my second running back i thought that was awesome especially with hassan haskins going to the nfl I was able to get Jaron Mangum from USF, who uh, exploded onto this thing as well. He's my flex play. And I still got um, some really high upside wide receivers. So Tyrese Chambers, who just came out of the transfer portal, went back to FIU. So now he's definitely wide receiver one there. And then Trayvon Rudolph, who's become more the quintessential number one in the, at NIU as well. Um, I would say, uh, it says, name someone you drafted just to get people talking about them. So I'm going to be one of the first to plant my flag and pick my guy. My guy is Mitchell Tinsley. I loved him at Western Kentucky. I think he's much more powerful as a power five wide receiver. I think we're just scratching the surface of what he's capable of as far as actual talent. And I get Parker Washington's there, and that's the thing. Like our friend John Lobb over the Gridiron Scholar, he literally took Parker Washington in the next pick, and we had some great debate in the chat, which it'll be cool on future episodes that uh, Jared will have me on and our good friend Colin over at C, uh, C to C at Campus to Canton. He's a big Park Washington guy. I think he's also a Penn State guy, so he's got a little bit more insight there. But I just don't think he can keep Tinsley off the field. Uh, he did play on the outside at wide receiver a lot more in Western Kentucky, so he does have that um, that experience there. And I just think that he gets open his separations there. And I think he's over-exceeding what he was originally recruited for. And uh, I get it. A lot of people are like, well, Stearns was the number one. That was Zappy's guy. Let's look at it like this. They both came in from the FCS school together. Uh, Tinsley was not. He literally was recruited from Western Kentucky. And at the end of the season when Stearns was either down or not performing, Tinsley was the wide receiver one in some cases for a couple weeks in CFF as well. So that's the guy I want to get people talking about. I think dude, let's have that discussion. Let's have that debate, um, you know, as far as nationwide. Is it Tinsley? Is it Washington? Are we completely wrong? And they all don't do anything. And this is a Nicholas Singleton year. And we're just looking at a reemergence of a Miles Sanders or Saquon Barkley. You never know, right? But that's the guy that I want to get people talking about. And that's why I took him actually in the third round as my first wide receiver. Because I have that much faith. I'm a little biased because of my uh, how much stock I have him in Dynasty. But I do think he's capable of getting it done. So that's uh, kind of how it went in the in the first mock draft. Definitely excited. Uh, big shout out to the guys. Um, 
they have some heavy hitters in this mock draft, so no one was uh, was playing games. Like I said, sniping from the get-go. I had a blast. Jared, thanks for hosting once again. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to 2.0 coming up next. See you guys. Thank you, Brandon. I'm sure your boldness in this draft will be something that people will love to see. Up next, from the university to the classroom, class is in session. It is the Gridiron Scholar, John Lobb, representing the ITL CFF podcast, fan tracks, and the NFL Draft Bible. John is here with the 109 spot. Take it away, brother. Hello, CFF diehards. How are you? It is the Gridiron Scholar, John Lobb, and I've been by Jared kind enough to invite me on the first ever January CFF mock draft that I've done. I've never done one before. And please follow me on Twitter at GridironSkull91. I couldn't afford the A and the R when I signed up eight years ago. GridironSkull91. And if you want to find all my CFF information throughout this spring, summer, and fall, it is always available on Fantrax.com. And then right now I am working on my 2022 NFL draft preview files for the footballdiehards.com. And I do a video series called the draft seminar with Matt Hicks on NFL draft Bible. You can check out those on the rookie big board channel on YouTube. We're producing over 40 preview files and videos for you this year to watch. So Jared was kind enough to ask me on here. And I have to admit, I've never been this ready this early for a mock CFF draft. I had to go through the transfer portal. I had to find out who declared early. I had to find out, you know, which players are, are still there on their teams. Now, I'll, be, I'll admit to all of our viewers, every new offense coordinator I haven't dug into yet. So you're going to find a theme throughout this mock draft for me today that I kind of stuck with. Second of all, if you follow me all these years, I tend to be a running back heavy drafter. I like to leave my first three rounds with two running backs. In general, I would say I accomplished that in over 60% of my CFF drafts and CFF leagues. So I decided since this was a mock in January, I'm going to go where I feel there is value and where there are players that I can consider to be the, um, the lead dog in their backfield, where I really feel comfortable where this is the player is going to get the majority of snaps, majority of touches in the running game, and I do like pass catching backs. So my favorite pick, Jared's first question, I love Jameer Gibbs to transfer to Alabama. I've been a Gibbs stand for a long time. I've been talking for him over, you know, a year and a half to Debbie listeners, to Dynasty listeners. I know he got off to a slow start at, with, at Georgia Tech last year, but I watched a ton of the Yellow Jackets with Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs in the backfield. Jameer Gibbs is a premier pass catcher. I think he's the best pass catcher in college football right now. I think he's going to come out grading in the draft of 2023 as my best pass catching back. That's how much I like him. Doing a little research, Alabama throws to their running backs. Jameer Gibbs is going to be deadly. Their running backs, I think it was Nate who posted a tweet that said Alabama running backs the last two or three years 
have averaged like 56 receptions if you're the number one running back in their backfield. With Bryce Young at the quarterback position, the Heisman winner, and you have Jameer Gibbs in the backfield, oh, do I love the upside. I am betting on scheme, system, coaching. I, I can't get much more solid than Nick Saban that offense with the Heisman quarterback coming back. I love Jameer Gibbs at number two. My least favorite. I took a big risk here. The tight end last year, we salivated over the value of the tight end. And last year, you could draft the stud tight end and just plug him in all season like I did in two teams with Michael Meyer of Notre Dame. Or... You could, I did a lot of tight end waiver wire and you could get production. Obviously it's risky, but there were tight ends last year. Right now, the early board looks like there's two studs and everybody else. So I saw the two studs go off the board and I decided to jump into the tight end pool probably too early. Looking back, my first, my first thought here is, I think I can wait on the tight ends because there seems to be a mass of tight ends, but I do like Jaheim Bell out of South Carolina. First thing I someone said in the chat after the pick, well, they got Stogner, the former tight end to Oklahoma. I get it, but here's the thing. Bell is the tweener, the hybrid tight end. He is, I think he's 6'4", 235, 240. He's not a big in the butt online inline blocker that's going to be Stogner's job I think the Gamecocks are going to go I believe with a lot of two tight ends I've been reading about it and I saw Bell in the bowl game against UNC I was very impressed I, I mean South Carolina blew him out in that game and if anyone else watched it they had a disaster quarterback they were using running backs at quarterback play I mean it was it worked for one game they beat the Tar Heels. Hey, great for them. You're not going to win an entire season with the offensive scheme that they used against the Tar Heels, but it was perfect for that day. But when I watched that game, because I was scouting Sam Howell, so I watched that entire game. Jaheim Bell scored two 60-yard touchdowns. Hey, I'm a big believer. I watched the bowl games to see early risers, especially among second-year players. Bell caught my eye. I looked up the athleticism. It is there. There is some injury history, so there's risk here. But I like to take risks early. I want people to think about players. I'd probably wait a little longer. If I, I took them in the sixth round, fourth pick overall, I would wait next time. But I, I think he was the pick that I regret the most. But this is a mock draft early, and I'm high on him, so I was willing to, to, to take him early. So Jared had asked us, our second question was, what would you do differently? My number one would be wait on the tight end longer or dip in very early. Uh, if we look back, let me check. Very, when did the top two tight ends go? Brock Bowers went in the fourth round and Michael Meyer went in the fourth round. So either jump in on one of those. Those, to me, are the two premier. I think that's going to be consensus at the position by the end of the draft season. Um, you can jump in the third round if you really want to be risky, or you got to take them in the fourth round. I think they'll be pushed up the board. So I'll wait next time. The other thing that I wasn't, I waited on the quarterback. Maybe I waited too long, 
with Brennan Armstrong. I'm happy with Armstrong in round five pick nine. He was a stud last year. I think he finished in the top three, Jared, in, in CFF production last year. So I'm happy to get him right there. I think the value was fine. So now, one thing I didn't like, they are changing head coaches. And when you change head coaches, there is risk there. I would love it if they did not have such change, but maybe that's why I got the value. I mean, he was so good last year to get Brennan Armstrong. I, I believe I was the last um, mock drafter to take a quarterback. We were required to take two quarterbacks. So I took him in the fifth round. I'm, I'm happy with the value. But I could see moving up the board a little earlier to take a stud quarterback. Now, Jared asked us some other players and how we thought about our draft strategy. I like to think about the draft strategy when I'm done with my roster, especially early. What do, what do the position rooms look like? I love my quarterback room with Brennan Armstrong. I took Phil Jerkovic in the ninth round. Jerkovic got hurt last year. But if you look at the game by game, he had some really high upside games, Jerkovic. And Zay Flowers is returning. If Zay Flowers wasn't returning, I'm not sure that I'd be as high on Jerkovic. But I like to get dual threat running backs who have over potential for 500 yards rushing and 10 rushing touchdowns. I believe that both Armstrong and Jerkovic, if they hit their ceiling, could do 500 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns. I'm very happy in my quarterback room. I love my running back room. I opened up with Sean Tucker, Syracuse. I'm a big Tucker guy, same quarterback, same coach. Everything's in place. We know they're going to run the football. Tucker, surprisingly, is a good pass catcher. They involved him in the passing game. Now, the Orange aren't going to throw a lot, so you're not going to get 55 receptions, I don't think, out of Tucker. But if you're getting three, two or three receptions every week, I'm very happy with Tucker there. He is their star in the backfield. And then I have him and Jameer Gibbs, who I just talked about. And I took my sleeper. It's early. We'll see where his value is <coughs> as, the, as the months progress. I like Jalen Knighton of Miami a ton, my friends, a ton. I know they brought in some people. I know there's competition. But I do believe Knighton's the best player in the Miami depth chart right now. I do expect him to have a better season. I said I like the bowl games. I also like to see how a player, especially a young player like Knighton, how did he perform over the last month of the season, my friends? Look at the box scores for Jalen Knighton late in the season. Very impressive. And he's a pass catcher. He, and he's an explosive pass catcher. So I like the upside there. Love my running back room. The only position I haven't talked about is the receiver room. I went conservative. I didn't go for any of the big boys in this one. So you might be a little shocked. But I'll tell you what I went for. Second, third-year players with the returning quarterback and the same head coach. Because I believe I can trust that the player knows the system and that they're at the top of the pecking order for targets. First one, third round, pick nine. Hey, I've been talking about this player for two years on the Debbie podcast. 
shows. I like Parker Washington. He very silently had over 800 yards, and I believe he had eight touchdowns. And he was second fiddle to Jahan Dotson, my friends. Dotson's going to the NFL, and he might be a first-round pick. He's definitely off the board in the second round. Parker Washington, Clifford returns in the same offensive system. And I, look, I like Clifford. He's a good college fantasy quarterback. But you know what? He's going to get the ball to Washington. I'm very happy having the the Nittany Lions top pass catcher. When you look at K.J. Hamler, Jahan Dotson, and I'll go back to Allen Robinson. When the Nittany Lions have a guy, they feed their wide receiver. My second receiver, I took a little risk. But his coach is there, the system's there, and his quarterback is there. I like the Maryland passing game. I took Rakeem Jarrett of Maryland. You could take Demas. I get it. Some people are going to take Demas, and maybe the value is with Demas. There's no question that the value might be with Demas later in the draft. But I like Rakeem Jarrett's value coming out, and I like him now. I look at his box scores after Demas got hurt. He was good down the stretch. He improved. I watched a lot of him because I was looking at him from a Debbie and Dynasty point early in the season, and he was not impressive the first month. But when you saw him the last month of the year at Maryland, he played much better. So I like Rakeem Jarrett. And to finish my wide receiver room, I took in the seventh round, Sakari Franklin. The Roadrunners went 12-2. and two. Explosive offense, and the key to me is Frank Harris is returning. He didn't go to the NFL. He's coming back. Same head coach. I know they lose Sincere McCormick, but Zakari Franklin has had a very productive beginning to his NFL career. Zakari Franklin might be an uptick, and I love Conference USA defenses. It's not like Franklin's going to be confronted with all-American cornerbacks on a regular basis. So I like my wide receiver room with Washington, Jarrett, and Zakari Franklin of UTSA. I talked about the tight end. That's the team. That's how I put it together. It's early. I will say one thing. I'm surprised there wasn't – I don't think a freshman went off in this draft which surprised me a little bit. There's some value at the running back position. We're probably going to get a freshman quarterback who's going to become a CFF player, if not a star. There are wide receivers, but that's all right. We need to learn more about them, see the spring game and all that. And right now, my first thought is there's still so much value at the quarterback position. We took 24 quarterbacks off the board. I could have taken, there were three guys. I I took Jerkovic. But there were three or four other guys I had in the exact same tier that I would have been extremely happy with. And I think there's 36 quarterbacks who we are going to target and want. That's how I put together my first draft. I hope everyone listens to the show. Please follow me on Twitter at GridironSkull91. I couldn't afford the A and the R. And I want to thank Jared for letting me come on, let me partake in the draft. I love it. It is great to look at the board, and I hope all our listeners get to learn from this experience this early in January. Always an honor and a pleasure to have the Gridiron Scholar on board. Up next, representing the crew at Campus to Canton, it is Mr. Colin Decker, host of the Campus to Canton podcast. Colin is picking out of the 110 slot. Colin, what you got for us? 
What's up, everyone? Colin here from campustocanton.com. Uh, thank you to Jared for putting on this way too early CFF mock. I was very fortunate enough to be asked to be in this. It was the first one from our crew to jump on it. I uh, called dibs, so I was excited to get in on this one. Uh, just a little bit of a breakdown of my team here. Uh, I picked from the 10th spot. Um, after doing this, I actually kind of like picking in later in the draft here. At uh, 110, I picked Braylon Allen, running back from Wisconsin. Um, from week four on, you know, he averaged over 19 carries a game, 135 yards and a touchdown last year. Uh, that included a dud against uh, Minnesota, where he had 17 carries, 47 yards and no touchdowns. So if you factor that in, you know, it's obviously even a lot higher too. Uh, I think he could be a, a top three running back this year easy uh, if he gets some improved receiving work. But even without it, I think he's very safe top 10 running back. Uh, safe floor, high ceiling. Love that in the first round. 2-3, uh, I took Jordan Addison. He was the wide receiver three in points per game last year. A Blitnikoff award winner. 100 catches, just under 1,600 yards. 17 touchdowns. Ecstatic to get that 2-0-3. Biggest concern was going to be who his quarterback was going to be without Pickett. But, you know, Keaton Slovis is coming in. You know, we know he can support fantasy-relevant wide receivers. So I think Jordan Addison could repeat as a top-five wide receiver this year. Uh, on the way back around then, 310, I took DTR. He was the QB 12 last year on a points-per-game basis. QB 7 out of all the QBs that are returning. Uh, I feel like I needed to snag a QB here with seven QBs already off the board. I have some questions about Brennan Armstrong repeating his performance last year with a new, more conservative uh, offense under former Clemson OC Tony Elliott. Um, Dart possibly going to Oklahoma, could challenge Dylan Gabriel, kind of some question marks there. Uh, later on, if you know if Dart doesn't end up going to OU, uh, I would take Gabriel over DTR. But with that unknown, I wanted to go DTR there. I love the rushing ability. Uh, 600 yards rushing last year, nine touchdowns. Makes him a very safe option at QB. I think he should be a QB1, so I was happy to get that there. Uh, 403, it took Zach Evans, running back from TCU, transferring to Ole Miss. Uh, he was eight RB18 in points per game last year. And he's going to Ole Miss. They're basically losing everybody from that offense. Matt Corral uh, out of the backfield. Snoop Connor, Jerry and Ely, Henry Parrish all gone. Jonathan Mingo, basically the only wide receiver coming back. I think Evans could have a huge role in that offense. Uh, maybe he doesn't see the volume of like a Devin Singletary when he was at FAU with Kiffin, but I still think he's going to get a ton of volume. I think he's, you know, keep keep, keep that efficiency going. I love that pick there for me, uh, my spot. Uh, the 5'10 then took Jaden Reed, wide receiver 22 in points per game last year. Uh, Jalen Naylor's off to the NFL, Ricky White in the transfer portal. So Reed's really the only returning option at wide receiver. Uh, offensive focal point Kenneth Walker's off to the NFL too. Peyton Thorne will be back. I think that helps stabilize Reed's floor. Uh, and then I think Michigan State's going to have to pass the ball a little bit more this year with the loss of Walker. So I think that's going to give Reed the ability to be, you know, maybe up to wide receiver 15-ish. But even if he doesn't hit that, I think wide receiver 22, pretty safe. Getting at the end of the fifth round, pretty happy with that. Uh, 603 took Jacob Cowing, uh, wide receiver from UTEP, transferring to Arizona. He was a wide receiver 27 in points per game last year on a slow-paced UTEP offense that was 97th in pass attempts, 106th in plays per game. Now he's going to Arizona. I think Arizona is going to routinely be in a negative game script. 
He gets a nice upgrade at QB and Jaden Delara transferring from Washington State. I think he could have a big year there, but honestly, wide receiver 27, I think that's kind of his floor. I think he's a very safe option there as well. And my next pick, probably my favorite pick of the draft, uh, Zazavian Valade, running back from Wyoming, transferring to Arizona State, took him at the 710. Uh, last year, he had 200 carries, over 1,000 yards. 23 catches, 23 or 233 yards, so 1,200 all-purpose yards and somehow only six touchdowns. Uh, Wyoming was slow-paced, 109th in plays run. They struggled to score. They're 86th in points per game. Let's go to an Arizona State team that didn't have that problem. Uh, they split the backfield last year. That's not going to be an issue for Valaday this year. Uh, Rashad White gone, Chip Trainum gone. It should be the Valaday show. I think he could have a huge year this year. I love that pick at 7-10. 8-3, I took Anthony Richardson. High upside pick here, really, for a QB2. Um, Emory Jones hasn't entered the transfer portal yet officially. There were some rumblings about it. But either way, we saw he's not good last year. And his biggest supporter in Dan Mullen is gone. If Billy Napier is willing to let uh, Anthony Richardson loose, I think Anthony Richardson could be a Malik Willis-level fantasy player. And taking that at the 803, that's that could be potentially league winning. Uh, but if he does bust, there's enough other solid options at QB that I think I could find QB2 production somewhere else. You know, a guy like Devin Leary, Jar- Jaron Hall, Spencer Sanders, Seth Hennigans, none of those guys are really even considered, I'm sure, by the other people in this draft at this point. So, you know, I could get one of them later and balance out that floor ceiling combo. But swinging for Richardson's upside here, uh, I really like that a lot. Uh, last 9-10, I took Josh Simon. Uh, we really filled out uh, filled out the whole roster on this one. You know, if we weren't doing that, if we were drafting some bench players, if this was more a normal mock draft, I probably would have waited even longer on a tight end just because uh, the landscape's barren this year. Outside of Michael Mayer and Brock Bowers, it's a lot of question marks. Uh, Josh Simon was the tight end one in points per game last year. Uh, through one game, you know, he got hurt after one game, but he's a guy who was targeting all year, um, you know, last year, and he's on that Western Kentucky offense. They pass a ton. They lose some wide receivers like Jareth Stearns and Mitchell Tinsley. They do bring in some transfers. They lost Bailey Zappi. They lost OC, uh, their OC Kitley. So obviously far from a sure thing, but I think Simon's a pretty intriguing option. So I was happy to get him here at this spot. Uh, thanks again, Jared, for running this. I appreciate it. Looking forward to doing more of these. Um, yeah, don't forget about me the next time you run. Thank you to Colin and the entire Campus to Canton team for being involved in this draft. Up next, you know him as the host of this special and the Chasing the Natty CFF podcast. It is Mr. Jared Palmgren, who is oddly referring to himself in the third person as we speak. Jared is picking out of the 111 spot. Let's find out what this handsome fellow has to say. All right, everybody, welcome in. As the very handsome host of this event just said, I am Jared Palmgren, the host of the Chasing the Natty podcast, which you can find on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can find your favorite CFF shows. If you are listening to this special program, you already know who I am. You already know what that show is, so I will move on from that. But before we go, you can always find me on Twitter, I'm at CFF underscore Jared. I always try to be as open and as reachable as I can be on there. So feel free to DM me, um, request a message. I usually answer all of them as best as I can. So I appreciate that. 
And so, yeah, let's get into this draft that I decided to um, drag everybody into this early in the offseason. Um, for real, uh, for all the guys out there who were a part of the draft, thank you guys for coming in and doing this. You guys were awesome. The discussions we had in the draft were great. And I look forward to doing this really just as the offseason goes along, seeing how people's minds change. But anyway, everything I'm saying right now, I'm probably going to say at the beginning of this. So I will probably go ahead and skip over that. And I'll get into what you guys want to hear about. And let's talk about what draft pick I had. I had the 11th pick. And let's talk about some of these questions that I asked everybody to answer. So, did you like the team you drafted? I thought I did okay, especially for a first draft. I definitely have a lot of things I wish I would have done better. And if I was going into a league this year, I'd definitely be looking at my team a little bit sketchily. But again, CFF, there's plenty of time to recuperate and everything. So, first round took Keishon Butte, wide receiver out of LSU. Second round took Tavion Thomas, running back out of Utah. Third round, I took Muhammad Ibrahim, running back out of Minnesota. Fourth round, I took Dylan Gabriel, quarterback out of Oklahoma. Fifth round, took Gary Bryant Jr., wide receiver out of USC. Sixth round, I took Jojo Earl, wide receiver out of Alabama. Seventh round, I took Cameron Ward, quarterback out of Washington State. Eighth round, I took Benjamin Eurosek, tight end out of Stanford. Ninth round, I finished off with running back Eric Gray out of Oklahoma. Now, let's talk least favorite pick and favorite picks. We'll start with the least favorite pick, start on the negative note, end on the positive note. Least favorite pick, Dylan Gabriel, quarterback out of Oklahoma. I took him in the fourth round. Uh, definitely one of my bigger regrets, mostly because I made this pick, and it was then that Nate Marquise, who, by the way, is a Oklahoma, like he, he knows everything there is about that program. And that's when he decided to drop the news that like the news for Jackson Dart to Oklahoma was very legitimate, very legitimate possibility of that happening. So I'm throwing my hands up at that point being like, well, I just drafted somebody who might even not even be the starter at Oklahoma in the fourth round. So definitely wasn't a huge fan of that. I did later want to grab Jackson Dart as my second quarterback just so I could have both of them. Uh, but he was taken, I believe, in the, uh, let's see, he was in the, he, he was taken in the sixth round. I was, I was planning on getting him in the seventh. So that was a little unfortunate. But even so, I got the second quarterback. I, I liked him a lot. Now, favorite picks. Uh, I'm going to put this as a tie between two running backs that I drafted. First and foremost, Muhammad Ibrahim. Grabbing him in the third round to me was insane. And I get why he has fallen this year compared to he was last year. For those of you who are new to CFF this year, Muhammad Ibrahim was a top three, four pick last year. And it was just everybody was grabbing him because you knew that lead back in the Minnesota offense was going to get every kind of carry. Then he tears his Achilles in the first game against Ohio State. And you are looking at a guy that is on a long road to recovery. And it gave plenty of times for other backs in that backfield to maybe step up. Treshawn Potts really kind of took over that role once uh, Muhammad Ibrahim went out. But here's the thing, Muhammad Ibrahim still to me was clearly the best back in that backfield. And I have a feeling he's definitely going to earn that job back. Now the question comes whether or not Minnesota, because of how many running back injuries they had last year, are they going to start splitting the carries a little bit more? 
maybe but to me grabbing muhammad ibrahim here in the third round is definitely worth any kind of risk that goes with it because the upside that comes from muhammad ibrahim and getting him in the third round is insane to me now let's talk eric gray running back out of oklahoma i am shocked a running back out of oklahoma fell this far now again obviously lincoln riley off the usc but who did they get to replace him on offense? Well, none other than Jeff Levy, the guy that was running the entire Ole Miss offense last year. And the key to that offense last year, a lot of people saw the high-flying passes from Matt Corral and all that. The key to that offense was the run game. They were able to run the ball so efficiently. And I have to imagine he's going to want to do the same thing again in Oklahoma. And as long as they're not splitting carries like they did at Ole Miss, which I'm hoping they don't because, let's be real, Eric Gray... To me, is clearly the best back back in that backfield, even though he didn't have a great year last year. But Kennedy Brooks is gone. Eric Gray is the guy left. Marcus Major's been in. And I don't think any of these freshmen that are coming in are going to immediately get playing time there. So I think Eric Gray is an insane value right now in the ninth round. Now, what's something I would do differently next time? If you know anything about me, and if you listened to me for a long time, but I'll reiterate here, I hate drafting at the turn. And that's where I was put in this draft. I was put at the 11th pick, which um, whoever's running this draft should uh, definitely reconsider that next time. Anyway, um, but again, I have to learn to be better at the turn because if I, I'm not, I can't always control where people are put. So it's one of those things where how do I get better at drafting at the turn? And really... The big thing here for me is I got to learn not to be over, not to be afraid to overdraft at the turn. Now, I know people like when they hear overdraft, they're like, like, oh, you you picked the guy way too early. It's like, well, when you're at the turn, you're going to have a long period between that second pick and your next pick. Like you're gonna have like twenty something picks in between there. You have to be willing to grab a guy that you might think is like seven, eight to 10 picks too early, but heck, if, even, if, even if you think it's gonna be 15 picks too early, you're not picking it up for another 20 something picks. So if you, if you really want him, you have to be willing to just take it on the chin, draft him there and go ahead and get him. And the best example I can give here is the fourth round, Nate Marquise right before me drafts Rock Bowers. I was a little thrown off by that. I didn't expect tight ends to go off that early, but it makes sense because Brock Bowers and Michael Meyer, as many people have alluded to, are clearly the top two tight ends in this draft. Um, in addition to that, you have Michael Meyer, who is the second guy. And I thought about going ahead and picking him up, but I was like, no, it's a little too early. I want to see like how far he falls after this. But like, I feel like if I had drafted Michael Meyer there in the fourth round and then waited just a little bit longer to pick up my first QB, who would have been somebody like Tyler Van Dyke, he was still available by the time it came back to me, I would have been perfectly happy with that, with him as my first QB. So I have to learn not to be afraid to overdraft the turn a little bit. Now, let's talk about one of these questions that I kind of put as an optional question. And... Which players was I where I was I surprised went undrafted through nine rounds? And to me, it's not one specific player, but in this draft, there was a lot of flag planting. I was guilty of this as well. 
Uh, Jojo Earl, I've planted my flag. He is my wide receiver for Alabama this year until I learn new information that tells me he shouldn't be because I think he'll take over that slot. And I think he'll take over that burner role in the Alabama offense, get those deep shots from Bryce Young. I like what he can do. But anyway, I'm surprised there wasn't more of that with some of these other proven wide receiver rooms from last year that I think people are going to be wanting to look at. Utah State was a big one here. Zero wide, Utah State wide receivers were taken after Devin Tompkins was the wide receiver three last year, if I remember correctly. Yes, he was the wide receiver three last year. So, like, obviously somebody's going to be taking that role, and, like, maybe they don't hit wide receiver three, but they'll hit top 20 wide receivers. And, like, uh, Derek Wright is the guy that I'm kind of planting my flag on for that one, but I'm surprised no, no Utah State wide receivers were taken. Zero Mississippi State wide receivers were taken. I get that a little bit more because, again, they've spread the ball around so much and it changes so often who's, like, the favorite target. But even so, I wasn't surprised nobody tried to, like, plant the flag a little bit there. Maybe if we had a couple more rounds, we would see that. And then Washington State. I took Cameron Ward, uh, quarterback out of Washington State. He's transferred from Incarnate Word. He's back with his OC. And if you know anything about that offense that he has been in, they like to throw the ball around a ton. And so I'm surprised that nobody is willing to stick out uh, a Washington State wide receiver like Stribling, who's coming back from last year. I'm surprised that nobody was out there doing that. So that's kind of my overview of this draft. I'm trying to keep this under 10 minutes because I asked everybody else to keep this under 10 minutes. Uh, but like everybody else, if I wanted to, I could talk about this for like two hours just by myself, y'all. But I'm not going to do that to you guys. And also there'll be another episode kind of breaking down this draft coming at a later time but until then appreciate y'all tuning in and enjoy the rest of the special last and certainly not least representing himself is mr nate marquise also known as cff nate on twitter picking out of the 112 spot let's finish strong nate what's up everyone this is nate marquise just finished up having a blast with um doing a little mock draft here that Jared was kind enough to host a little nine rounder having a uh, having a nice craft brew IPA figured I would give you guys a little rundown on how my draft went and what my roster looks like you can find me at CFF Nate on Twitter I'm sure most of you guys that are listening probably already follow me but obviously I uh I uh, spend most of my time tweeting about college fantasy football and just college football in general, so give me a follow. But as far as my draft went, I was drafting out of the 12th spot, so I was on the elbow. Um, I Just a quick rundown of my roster. I went with uh, Rasheen Ali, the running back out of Marshall, to start. Malik Cunningham followed him up. Uh, in the second round, first pick of the second round. Uh, then coming back on the elbow the second time with Quentin Johnson, the wide receiver out of TCU. Follow that up with Brock Bowers, tight end in Georgia. Then uh, fifth round as it came back to me, 12th uh, pick in the fifth round went with Chris Smith, Louisiana running back. Rasheed Rice, wide receiver out of SMU. And then as it came back to me at the end of the seventh round, I went with Garrett Schrader for my second quarterback pick. Marvin Mims out of uh, Oklahoma, wide receiver in the uh, eighth round, first pick. And then the last pick, Mr. Irrelevant, ended up being Jonathan Mingo, wide receiver out of Ole Miss. So 
as far as some of the questions that Jared was wanting us to uh, analyze our, our draft here, my favorite pick was probably Garrett Schrader. The last pick in the seventh round. I, I really like that pick just due to... I don't have my rankings put together yet, but it's it's very probable that he ends up being a top 10 quarterback for me. He's got the um, the OC Robert Denae coming over from Virginia, who has an incredible track record of just giving massive volume to quarterbacks, uh, both passing and rushing. We saw it this year with Brennan Armstrong. We've seen it with Bryce Perkins. Um, that's just exactly what you're looking for in college fantasy football. So the OC and the quarterbacks coach coming over from Virginia, um, being paired with Dino Babers there, that's a recipe for success when it comes to college fantasy out of your quarterback. My least favorite pick was probably Quentin Johnston. I'm warming up to the idea of him being paired with Sonny Dykes now. I don't you know that's probably as high as I'd be comfortable taking him I don't love the I the idea that the quarterback room is unsettled there's there's really not a quality passer to get him the ball but we do have really really nice history with Sonny Dykes and his wide receivers uh, from his time at Cal to uh, most recently at SMU. I mean, you know, the receivers producing that offense, he's an alpha, um, but he still is probably the safest play in a best ball type format when you, because you just don't know when he's going to go off. He's so inconsistent. It caused me to have to kind of, you know, use my flex spot on a wide receiver at the end of the draft as opposed to a running back just because I couldn't totally trust what we could get out of Quentin Johnson. As far as my surprises in the draft overall, a couple things really stood out to me. <laughs> the fact that we had two Penn State wide receivers going in by the third round of the draft was pretty wild. Both Parker Washington, he went at uh, the ninth pick in the third round, and Mitchell Tinsley, the new Penn State wide receiver, going as uh, one pick before him in the third round. is pretty wild to me to think that that offense can support uh, that much fantasy production from multiple wide receivers. I know we're kind of taking a stab at this point as to who's going to be the guy. Um but it just surprises me that we had one wide receiver taken from Texas Tech, which is a Zach Kittley offense, where Mitchell Tinsley came from, that had numerous high-level producers at the wide receiver spot. In fact, we had that was another surprise. We had one Texas Tech player total taken in this draft, I believe, which was Miles Price, somebody that I was kind of interested in. He went in the uh, eighth round, middle of the eighth round. <clears throat> but... Um, yeah, two Penn State wide receivers going off well before any Texas Tech players uh, was a little surprising. I was also surprised to get Rasheen Ali, who right now is right at the top of my running back rankings, uh, potentially being number one on my running back list. I got him the last pick in the first round. I believe he was RB7 in this draft. There were six other running backs that went off the board before him. That was a little surprising. So I feel like that was pretty good value there. 
As far as somebody that went undrafted that was surprising to me, I would say it was probably Illinois running back Chris Brown. Uh, we look, as I mentioned earlier, with Garrett Schrader in the system leading to volume, and that's what we look for in college fantasy. Um, I mean, Illinois, I know they've got a new OC coming in, but he's coming in from, from UTEP, which did produce really nice run production. Um, but let's let's not kid ourselves that the just the running back situation overall at Illinois there I mean he's going to get a ton of volume um so I was a little surprised to see a number of other running backs that I have ranked quite a bit below Chris Brown come off the board before he did some risers that I think we'll see through the draft I, I've I mentioned it earlier with some of the surprises with Texas Tech the quarterback position in a Zach Kittley offense is obviously one of the most coveted fantasy assets that that you could have last year. And he's proved it even in his time at Houston Baptist to be extremely high producer from the quarterback position. Once we start hearing some word out of spring and even to early fall camps, you're going to see if somebody starts to separate themselves at Texas Tech at the quarterback position, um, whether it's Donovan Smith, Tyler Shug, or um, you know one of the younger players coming in, um, Brent, uh, Baron Morton potentially, whoever takes a hold of that job is going to skyrocket up draft boards. I also think probably Quinn Ewers with all the weapons that he's got around him now at Texas is going to be a riser. I want to say, let's see, he went at round four, pick five. Um, I don't. I can't see him lasting quite that long in drafts later on. There's just too much hype around him. Somebody that I could see fall. Um, no offense to to my to my boy John Lobb, but he took Sean Tucker at the ninth overall pick in the uh, in the first round. And as I mentioned earlier, with Robert Dene coming over. He just doesn't use running backs. He's got a pretty significant history of running the quarterback and throwing the hell out of the ball. And he just doesn't use running backs. That would worry me a little bit for Sean Tucker. I think that pick was a little rich for me um, that early on. So he's somebody that I think in in uh, as, as draft season goes on could start to slip a little bit there. I really, as, as far as a guy that I drafted just to kind of get some talk about, I, I really didn't have any, but I would say the one guy that kind of fits the mold there was who I took in the eighth round, very beginning of the eighth round is Marvin Mims. He's kind of become a forgotten guy. He had a really nice freshman season, but fell off his sophomore year. Um, a variety of reasons for that quarterback play, play calling, um, you know, a number of things. But I, I did want to point out that Jeff Levy um, has a pretty big time production out of his wide receivers the last three years. Gabriel Davis at UCF uh, went for 1,212 TDs. Elijah Moore, we all know what he did uh, with Levy's first year there back in 20. And then Dontario Drummond last year just murdered it. Um, so I could see Mims taking on that role, especially with Mario Williams moving on. Um, they're going to have 
either Dylan Gabriel at the time we're recording this, potentially uh, Jackson Dart, either one of those guys could be very, very formidable with Marvin Mims. So he's somebody um, that I would say I drafted just to kind of, you know, maybe see if there's a little hype there. So appreciate you guys listening. Um, Cheers. Have a great day. Good luck in your drafts. Thank you again, Nate. His bio on Twitter says that he gives lukewarm CFF takes, but I think you guys found his analysis anything but. Well, that's our special. Once again, I want to thank each and every CFF expert who not only participated in this month, but also took the time to bring their analysis to this special in order to provide the best experience for our viewers. The Twitter handles of each member of this draft will be found below, so please go and follow each and every one of them. Finally, I want to thank each and every one of our listeners who have watched to this point. You guys are the reason we can keep doing stuff like this, and the growth you guys have helped create is the reason why we'll be able to keep doing this kind of stuff in the future. For now, that wraps up this special. For the experts, for myself, for everyone, I hope you guys have a blessed day, and I'll see you guys next time on Chasing the Natty.